Welcome to the LGBT Consortium podcast. Consortium supports LGBT plus groups, organisations and projects across the UK so that LGBT communities in need have access to the best support possible. This podcast series will be taking a deeper dive into the issues that matter to the LGBT community and finding out more about our members and the work they do. Thank you to the Rainbow Lottery the UK's first and only lottery supporting LGBTQ plus good causes for supporting this episode of the LGBT plus consortium podcast. Welcome, my name is Ray, my pronouns are they and them, and I am the stakeholder engagement officer for the LGBT partnership at consortium. Today, I'll be co-hosting this episode with Laura, and we'll be talking about by plus health inequalities and also our upcoming by uh, organization fund for by visibility month before we start laura would you like to introduce yourself yes oh uh, hi my name is laura clark i use she they pronouns and i am the lgbt partnership coordinator for the national lgbt partnership now, I think maybe we should talk a little bit about what the LGBT partnership is, because it's a word that we're using that maybe not all of our listeners quite know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so basically, the National LGBT Partnership is a collection of voluntary sector LGBT organisations, currently 39 organisations. Um, they're all working together, dedicated to tackling LGBT health inequalities and improving health outcomes for LGBT people. And we're also a member of the Health and Wellbeing Alliance, um, which is another collection of organisations, uh, voluntary sector organisations um, that are not just LGBT exclusive, but that are working to tackle discrimination uh, within healthcare. Yes, so it's organisations upon organisations. So part of <laughs> our... <laughs> There's a lot of us. Um, and part of our work with the LGBT partnership uh, in the past has been doing some research and reporting work on uh, the health inequalities that bi people face, uh, people who are, well, non-monosexual people, so including bi people and also people who are, for example, pansexual or uh, omnisexual or biromantic or something like that. Um, Laura, do you want to talk a little bit about that research? Yeah, absolutely. So um, we decided to to do this research a while ago now because we recognise that um, bioerasure is a real thing, especially within um, or particularly within the LGBT community. I think that sometimes it can be sort of uh, bio identities can be left out in the cold a little bit and not necessarily um, discussed. And I think that there tends to be this attitude of you've got kind of uh, you're t- when you're talking about sexuality, you're talking about the LGB and when you're talking about gender you're talking about tea um, mm. and as a result I think uh, bi identities get kind of lumped in with gay and lesbian identities which is sometimes helpful um, but definitely they deserve their own discussion and have their own kind of um, issues and, and barriers that that they face um, yeah, so yeah we decided to kind of uh, to do this research because there really isn't an awful lot of bi research out there um, and we particularly wanted to look into how bi plus people experience uh, discrimination or erasure within the LGBT community and within organizations that would generally be promoting themselves as LGBT organizations or as LGBT friendly organizations yeah so 
I mean, I think it's quite overlooked, actually, especially by people who are outside of LGBT spaces, the fact that biphobia might come from within LGBT spaces as well, and that mm -hmm. lots of experience, lots of people would experience it as kind of, uh, mm, the phrase I was going to use was an attack, but not quite, like a, a non-welcome from either side and not fitting with yeah. uh, either space, which is really interesting because... Um, when I started to, it's so it's something that I was so aware of as a background, but when I started to really do the research, um, I was starting to notice that it was like, oh, you know, actually this is something that I experience as well. Yeah, definitely. And there's like a, a saying within bi communities, which is like <laughs> not half straight, half gay, 100% bisexual. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that, that that can be how people can view a bi identity is that it's sort of like half this community, it's half the straight community, and it's half the gay community. And as a result, you can um, sometimes feel like you're sort of not uh, straight enough for straight spaces, but not queer enough for queer spaces. And it can be a really kind of lonely place to be yeah. in the middle definitely a lonely place um do we want to go a little bit further into some of the themes of this research um, yeah absolutely so on? i'll talk yeah. a little bit about what we actually did and what the research um sort of uh, consisted of um so basically we initially did a survey of bi plus people so anybody who identifies as uh being attracted to um sort of two or more um genders um and we did that survey and we got about we got what well, we got over 200 responses which was really really great and then we also conducted some round tables with bi plus people who had um you know contributed to, to those surveys and we sort of elaborated on some of those experiences mm -hmm. um and then we I, I also spoke with um leaders of bi plus groups um, so that was really, really interesting. They were, they tended to be sort of social groups. And even though this is sort of health research, um, we found mm. that really helpful because I think that by, um, talking with these people who are interacting with bi people on, um, a very regular basis, we sort of got an idea of the conversations that are happening within the community and the, the sort of complaints, um, yeah. and frustrations of people within the community with regards to health and also to sort of general well-being, mental yeah. well-being as well. And I guess like, um, a person's health is going to impact every aspect of their life outside of their health, like their exactly. work life and their social life. And also a person's experiences um with all of their identities and backgrounds um mm -hmm. but in this particular case with biphobia yeah and um, also a lot it's going to influence their health yeah, absolutely. And, and a lot of the reasons that people were attending these groups um, was for their own personal well-being. So it, it does mm -hmm. all tie in. Yeah. Um, and then we also um, had a desk researcher, the brilliant um, Dr. Rosie Nelson, who did some um, research into the sort of minimal existing <laughs> literature <that was> in <laughs> this area. Um, and yeah, then we sort of put it all together and drew out some of the, the key themes, things that we saw that were reoccurring. Um, and we do actually have a, a report which hasn't yet been published but we're really hoping it will be out very soon uh called the hard done by report um which you know takes everything that i've just talked about and and um fits it all into one nice report for people to read um and then also another output that we have from that research which also unfortunately hasn't been published yet but is on the way to be um is a pamphlet for healthcare workers 
Um, and the idea of this was that while the report is is fantastic and it's a really thorough look at this issue, it is quite academic. So we just really wanted to condense it into something really accessible, um, kind of like a one one hundred one on how to be um, an ally to to buy people and how to be more buy inclusive in your in your practice. Mm-hmm. Um, so. In the research, there were some really specific themes that came out about the mm. things that uh, the in health inequalities and general experiences that BIPLOS people face. Um, would you be all right to go through those with us? Yeah, absolutely. So we sort of had um, seven key themes come out of this research. And you'll notice that a lot of them start with the word assuming. Um, mm. And we'll come <laughs> on to that later and sort of buy people's um, recommendations, I suppose, for, for healthcare workers. Mm. Um, but yeah, so a lot of this came from a place of, of healthcare providers assuming something about um, the patient or the person that's in front of them that um, may be incorrect or may be correct, but it's still not great to have an assumption made about you Mm. um so one of those was assuming monosexuality so assuming that somebody had a monosexual identity so either that they were a straight person or that they were a monosexual gay or lesbian person and this often came from um somebody mentioning a partner of a certain gender and then the assumption being made that the patient is only attracted to people of those of that gender um so that was a, a big one people also assuming um that bi people are confused about their sexual orientation or that they're on a journey to sort of figuring out what their real in uh quotes identity is um when that's you know we definitely know that 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 isn't the case and a lot of bi people most bi people feel very secure in their identity um then we had sort of like people assuming promiscuity so assuming that um bi plus people just because they experience attraction to multiple genders that actually they were having a lot of sex or they were having careless sex or they were having sex with multiple people or that they were polyamorous all of these different assumptions about what somebody's sex life might look like um Mm. based on on you know the people that they were attracted to um Mental health was a big one as well. People, uh, we recognize and we saw from the findings of the research that um, mental health outcomes are you know, disproportionate um, by people are disproportionately affected by mental ill health. Um, and that also people were um, accessing therapy um, and perhaps experiencing uh, by discrimination from their therapist. And I know that this is something we want to come on to in a bit, talking about sort of conversion therapy and, and what that actually looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, HIV and access to PrEP was another one that that came up um, that we uh, weren't necessarily expecting to, but we found that sometimes by men were finding it quite hard to access um, PrEP or to access HIV services because they are usually targeted at gay men, at monosexual gay men, and they didn't necessarily feel as though um, they had a place within those services, even though they were men having sex with men. Um, Another was intersectional identities, and this was really interesting when we were looking at the existing research because it was hard enough to find existing research um, on bi people, but trying Mm -hmm. to find it for people who maybe are marginalised in multiple different ways. So, for example, bi people of colour or disabled bi people was just pretty much non-existent. Um, So within this research, we really wanted to take a look at um, how people who have multiple um, marginalised identities uh, experience discrimination when accessing healthcare and, and what that can look like. 
And then finally, um, LGBTQ plus spaces, which I know we're going to talk a little bit more about as well. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, how by people maybe seeking uh, LGBT friendly spaces, but then perhaps the the uh, the knowledge of bi identities within that is is not great, or there's some kind of like um, active discrimination that means that perhaps something that is advertised as an LGBT inclusive space isn't for people who have a bi plus identity. Yeah, that's really interesting. Thank you so much, Laura, um, for like taking us through all of this. Like, you know, there's so much to say here. There's so much. It's quite hard to condense it into like points specifically, and mm. it all interlinks with each other as well. This episode is sponsored by the Rainbow Lottery. Ever wondered what a rainbow might sound like? Chimes? Harps? How about a chorus of 100 LGBT plus good causes on the Rainbow Lottery? It only costs a pound to play and 50p goes to help people living with HIV, safe housing, human rights, pride groups and many more. And guess what? You could win 25 grand each week. Go on, contribute to our chorus of great causes and win on rainbowlottery.co.uk. Players must be 18 or over. Always play responsibly, you lovely lot. I mean, did we want to talk a little bit about um, about mental health and about that uh, kind of conversion therapy view? Yeah, I think that's a really good way to go. So one of the things that came up quite a lot uh, in the report um, and especially in people's uh, free text responses where they would tell us about their experiences um, as well as the roundtables was that lots of people were experiencing kind of almost what I would think of as a convert conversion therapy. So not what you would usually think of as conversion mm. therapy, but actually attempts by therapists or people in your life or by authority figures to kind of convince you not to be bisexual or that you're confused or to try and mm. fix or alter bisexuality in order to alleviate some kind of like what's perceived to be quite an unsettled um, identity an yeah. undecided identity and this can have really severe impacts I think on people's sense of selves their mental health their trust um in terms of therapy services and also healthcare services in general like the impacts of it could be quite devastating yeah and I think that what was really interesting for me um is that I think that when we think of conversion therapy we have a very specific view and perhaps quite a cliched view of what that looks like as it being like a specific mm -hmm. conversion therapy service that somebody may seek out or somebody's family may seek out for them or we think of conversion therapy camps where people may be sort of sent away to be uh, to have their you know sexuality altered or, or changed but actually mm -hmm. this is happening in um, regular healthcare services this is happening in regular therapy sessions where somebody might be attending therapy for you know mm -hmm. for past trauma or a mental health issue um, yes. and then we'll mention their bisexuality and the therapist will try to sort of sway them one way or another and sort yeah. of start to try and say oh well you 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 really need to decide whether you're 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 gay yeah. or straight and making that a focus of the session yeah. and actually it being a lot more insidious than we perhaps think of it as. Yes another thing that came up a lot was um, and this I guess comes into assumptions as well is people uh, medical professionals or just people in general conflating uh, by identity by preferences um, attraction with um, 
a disorder or mm. ill mental health in general, kind of the idea that they come together or that um, one is a consequence of the other, which is another really harmful assumption that can lead to people being undermined in other areas of their life and decisions they make about themselves. Exactly, yeah. We saw from mm -hmm. the research there was one person who mentioned that their bisexuality was seen as a quirk of their um, autism spectrum disorder. Mm -hmm. um, and then alternatively as well, we saw people saying that their uh, bi-identity had led them to get a diagnosis of a BPD, borderline mm -hmm. personality disorder, because uh, a symptom of borderline personality disorder is an unstable sense of self or an unstable sense of identity which is very much how bisexuality is seen by a lot of people even though that's not the case mm -hmm. so yeah there was definitely a really interesting parallel between diagnosed um you know mental health conditions or diagnosed even sort of like learning disorders um and people's bi-identity being really taken as part of that rather than yeah. a separate thing some confusion about bi-identity as the cause of these things rather than as them being in many many cases consequences of biphobia experienced by people exactly and yeah. minority stress that that mm -hmm. bi people experience yeah yes. absolutely yeah I wanted to just quickly segue to talk a little bit about this term bi plus which mm -hmm. I hadn't really come across actually until I like very much I'd seen it around I didn't know that much about it until I started working on this project and doing mm. this work and I kind of intuitively I was like okay so that means by identities and also everything else that's non-monosexual but doesn't people who don't choose to identify themselves as bi mm. and I think it's a really useful label um and also it's got a lot of limitations so I think lots of us can understand, especially um, LGBTQ people, why we don't want to have people to telling us how to identify, telling us what language to use about uh, ourselves, how to describe ourselves, the way we live, the attractions that we have, our gender identities. Um, and increasingly fewer people are kind of choosing not to use bi um, for several different reasons. It's not resonating with them. It's not got associations that they like, plenty of other things. Um, but also by plus is really, really significant um, mm. as kind of a political label um, mm. because firstly, because um, by plus people's experiences are often so invisible. Um, and when we're counted kind of as the saying goes, then we do count. So if by plus people, um, our experiences are able to be kind of understood as an experience of non-monosexuality, then the research can actually be more consolidated. Our experiences can and our needs can be better understood um, rather than kind of not being counted um, and being really disparate. Yeah. But also there's total value for us being able to use lots and lots of different labels and having a kind of prol proliferation of labels um, mm. rather than being limited to specific sets of identities that kind of separate us rather than bring us together. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, but I think yeah. I have a lot of feelings about language. Yeah, that does make sense. And I think that the reason that we chose to use the term bi plus is that um, non-monosexual identities or people who experience attraction to multiple genders are usually seen under that B in LGBT mm -hmm. or LGBTQ plus um, is very much kind of like under that letter, that representation in, in the, you know, what is it, the third letter in, in the acronym. <laughs> um, so we really wanted to kind of like... Um, make it a uh, a word that people could resonate with and because a lot of people you know even through doing this research um 
maybe don't understand what monosexual or non-monosexual means so we wanted to make mm. it a word that people recognize even people who aren't necessarily part of the lgbt community and may not know the language so bi felt like something that a lot of people know and can get on board with um but we didn't want to use bisexual because we recognize that not everybody who's bi has a, a sexual um you know, isn't isn't bisexual in that sense, isn't sexually attracted to multiple genders. You may have biromantic people who are asexual or uh, uh, otherwise, you know, experience sexual attraction in, in other ways and to different genders. Um, so bi plus really felt like a way to use language that is accessible to people and would be understood by people who aren't part of, of you know, the LGBT sphere. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. but also that that is inclusive and we're recognizing that under that bi plus label falls you know pansexuality yeah. and biromanticism and, and queer and any kind of like multi-gender attraction yeah and I think the thing that I'm really trying to get to is in all cases noticing how important it is for people being able to self-determine the language that is used about them and that they use for themselves and um, in our kind of advice to healthcare professionals and to people in general around uh, by inclusion it's always to be led by the language that a person uses for themselves Absolutely. Um, so by plus is a label that kind of has room for that um, and you know it's not perfect because language is never perfect and we can never encompass the whole of everybody's experience um, mm-hmm. in a word that's always gonna have flaws. Um, but I really think it's important that we keep it open to the rest of these identities. Yeah, absolutely. While counting them, yeah. Absolutely, and yeah, I mean, if I can talk sort of like personally for a second, I think it's mm-hmm. really interesting because um, I would say that I identify as, as bisexual, um, but I would say on paper, my sexuality is very much pansexual. Um, mm. But the mm-hmm. reason I don't use that term is because that wasn't a term that I discovered or learned about until later on in my life. And when I was 12 years old and figuring out my sexuality, bisexual was very much the word that was there for me and the word that I latched onto. Yeah. I felt sort of some sense of like home in. Um, and then in my, you know, in my later teens, I discovered the term pansexual. And even though I resonated to it, like resonated with it, it, it didn't feel like, mm-hmm. you know, that initial light bulb moment. Um, yeah. So I think it is interesting about, about language. I think it very much depends on what yeah. language was, was around when you were figuring things out for yourself. I think so. And there are many people who will have different, Uh, understandings of the different language that's used of the same Mm. word even Um, and I think that's totally fine I don't think any of them need to have fixed definitions there are people who use multiple words there are people who will prefer not to use any identifying language um, Mm. which I guess you know presents such a trickiness when we are trying to count people's experiences in order to improve provisions and to improve healthcare it's like such a bind Um, for me definitely like I sort of flinch away from the identity of like using the word bisexual for myself even though it could easily be used to describe me but I think like a huge part of that is actually internalized by phobia which Mm. is very interesting to interrogate Mm. it's very interesting and I think that the word bisexual and I'm sort of going off track a little bit here but I think that the Mm -hmm. word bisexual has been sexualized in a sense yeah oh definitely Um, (laughs) like I definitely um growing up felt you know as a um as a woman I felt that saying I was bisexual invited some um level of kind of assumptions about me or assumptions about 
the sex that I'm having or, you know, um, of me as a person. And again, that links to that kind of theme that we found about people assuming that bi people are promiscuous. Um, and there's very much this sense of um, bisexual women being seen as, as doing it for some kind of male attention, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it felt very vulnerable, actually, to use that word to describe myself when I was when yeah. I was growing up and to receive yeah. that kind of um to be objectified through yeah. the, the the label that I use so I think it the, the the relationship that we have with language is so interesting and everyone's gonna yeah. have a different experience it's so emotionally charged I think and whatever decisions we make around it are like totally ours because it comes with all of this background of like you know of biphobia or whatever or trauma or you know these associations that we've built up Speaking of invisibility, there was um, a piece of research that was done in, ooh, when was it? I think it was 2021 um, by Consortium. And it was about the, um, why uh, bi groups were less resourced than um, monosexual groups or general LGBT groups. um, And looking into the kind of disparity there, what drove it, what could be done about it. Um, and we're really pleased to be able to say that we are launching our buy fund um, in the coming weeks um, following following this piece of research. And we're going to be promoting the details through our website and through our social media. So this is for buy led um, by four and led groups to apply for small grants to start to grow this provision for bi people. Yeah, it's really exciting. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing what comes out of it. Yeah, it's definitely very much um, needed. Okay, so I thought we could end by um, one of the things that we did with this research is we asked by people, if you could say one thing to healthcare professionals, if you could give them one piece of advice as to how to be more bi-inclusive, what would that be? And we had some amazing responses from the participants and we've sort of sorted them into uh, four themes. Um, mm. So I thought I'd go through those in case there's any kind of healthcare providers listening or anybody who would just like to be more bi-inclusive in their, in their day-to-day lives. Um, so the first one was just believing and listening to bi people, bi plus people. If somebody says that they're bisexual, believe them. They know their own identity. They've been in their head and have been working things out about themselves for a lot longer than than you've been contemplating their sexuality. (laughs) Really listen to them. um, Recognize how it how it must feel to um, to constantly be doubted about something that's really key and essential to your to your identity and to you as a person um, and do just really try to, to, to believe people when they're telling you something. Mm-hmm. The second thing, um, as we mentioned previously, a lot of these themes fell into assumptions being made. So the second thing that, that by people wanted to say was just don't make assumptions about people's identities. Um, if they mention a partner, if you're, if you're working with a woman who mentions a girlfriend or a wife, don't just assume that that person is a, is a lesbian. Um, really just if you need to ask questions that are relevant and you know important to the care you're giving ask those questions um and don't don't make assumptions about you know the type of relationships that people are having or the type of sex that people are having or the behaviors that they may be um exhibiting just because they are bi if you need to ask those questions ask those questions but otherwise just recognize that it's it may not be any of your business you may not need to know that in the moment so don't fall into the trap of asking people questions out of a sense of kind of personal curiosity mm-hmm. um, because that's something that's very much not appreciated by people um in the lgbt community or any people 
or if you if you're being asked um very uh personal questions about your your sort of sex life or, or anything mm-hmm. like that um the third one was using inclusive and clear language um and what this looks like is asking exactly what you mean so if you're asking somebody if they're sexually active um because you're trying to figure out if there's a chance that they could be pregnant then ask that ask could you be pregnant instead of are you sexually active because what you have in these situations is uh people being asked if they're sexually active and they say yes and then they're being listed as having a you know a risk of being pregnant when perhaps the type of sex that they're having and the type of people that they're having sex with means that there is actually no risk there that they that they could be pregnant um so just ask exactly what you mean use inclusive language ask do you have a partner instead of do you have a husband or do you have a wife and just really try to to break that down and say exactly what you mean and then finally it was just to seek out lgbt training educate yourself about bio identities um and this is really important because i think that generally even when we receive lgbt training as we've seen, <laughs> sometimes when we talk about LGBT issues, we neglect um, the B, we neglect by identities and by issues. So mm. do your research. If you feel like you need more um, more training in this area, then go to your your line manager or your boss or whoever and ask if you can, can get some training in that area. Read the hard done by report when it comes out, which is the report that we're hopefully going to be publishing very soon. Um, and keep an eye on our social media because we're always trying to do more around by inclusion and how you can be a better ally and a more inclusive uh, healthcare worker. I think it would be really nice to end on us just saying something that we really, that we appreciate or that we really enjoy about having a bi-plus identity after talking Mm. about everything that is uh, really challenging about it (laughs) and the inequalities that we face. Yeah, I like that. Um, Do you want to go first, Ray? Uh, Yeah, um, I will say what I really love about it. It sounds so cheesy in my head. Um, And also when I was doing some of my research for the work that we're doing now, Um, I kind of resonated with the stuff about um, by plus people saying like, you know, this kind of freedom to develop any kind of relationship with lots of different types of people Mm. feels really human and feels really compete. Not to say that any type of relationship that is monosexual is like less than, but personally, what I really like about it is um, just like my capacity to have connection with people um, Mm. feels really full. Um, yeah definitely Mm -hmm. yeah I like that I like I like that I feel like my again this feels really cheesy (laughs) I feel like like my kind of like view of like beauty in people is constantly expanding and constantly finding things beautiful about people that perhaps I I I didn't know I was capable to because I've been raised in this very heteronormative society so I love just discovering the the vast um kind of yeah the vast characteristics of people that I'm attracted to and on a slightly more light-hearted note I like that me and my husband can crush on the same celebrities hell yeah (laughs) (laughs) I love that (laughs) okay that's really good thank you for listening thank you Thank you for listening to the LGBT Consortium podcast. You can find more about what we do from our website, consortium.lgbt, and on social media at LGBT Consortium Everywhere. Thank you to the Rainbow Lottery for supporting this episode.